and Lee woke me up this morning and was like, we got a DVD teaching on the schedule. You want to do something? I said, sure. I had no idea what I was going to do. And then I was sitting outside before I come over here and I was like, what should we do? And Brandon's been reading a spiritual warfare book and some of you guys have sat through this message a few times, but I think it's good because when the house turns over, you know, you, you get new guys, right? And that's the reason why some of you say, well, I heard Fawaz say this. I heard, well, it's always good to redo stuff, right? So what I want to do is kind of like jump off of what Rob was saying because what I was going to talk about this morning goes along with what he was saying. You know, <clears throat> the old things have passed away and all things become new. Second Corinthians 5.17. <coughs> now, that doesn't mean that some things become new. That means that all things become new. New playgrounds, new friends, new people to be around, new places. Jesus said that a prophet isn't honored in his own home. So the reality is when you go home, you're probably just going to be the same guy everybody expects you to be. That's why everything has to be new. Everything has to be different. Now, when you get saved, your spirit is saved. Like Rob said, your soul is not saved at all. And to be quite honest with you, it probably won't ever be saved. Neither will your body. Because both of those things are going to be done away with. Your body is so corrupt that once it dies, you have to be given a brand new one. You can't take something that's defiled into heaven where it's holy at. And that's in Corinthians. When you, when you die, this old body will stand before God and it will be judged. But that doesn't mean that you're going to walk in with what you have on right now. If you go in, if you go in. He's going to give you a brand new one. You're going to get a resurrected body, a glorified body like he had. So the issue with us down here now is our soul or our, our mind and our emotions. And that is always waging war with what the spirit has. Always. And, and if you really think about it, nothing in you wants to read the word. Nothing in you wants to wake up and read. Nothing in you wants to come in here and sit in this chapel and, and listen to somebody talk about God. And, and all these things are always fighting against who you really are on the inside. Like, I like what Fawaz said. Who you really are is behind both of your eyes. It's not this thing that you walk around and feel stuff and smell stuff. That's not who you really are. Who you really are is behind both of your eyeballs. And we really don't even let that person come out as often as we should. And a lot of times when we let that person out, it's not the godly person that we let out. It's the angry person or the hurt person or the person that is really just taking control of what you walk around in. So when you conform to the image of God and you actually let the Holy Spirit work, and come out of you, that's who you're really supposed to be. That guy that you are on Sundays and visits when your family comes and you're smiling and you're happy and you're throwing out Bible verses and you're doing this and, 
everything's great. That's who you really are. But the problem is, as soon as they leave, you go back to the old nature. You go back to the old man and you complain. And, well, I wish they would have never came. They didn't bring me no cigarettes. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. But in reality, while they're in front of you, that's the real person that you should be all the time. And so there's a spiritual battle inside of everybody. You know, you go to the banquet and your people show up. Y'all ain't smile like that all week. You ain't smile like that all week. And that's really the joy of the Lord in you. And you're, you're allowing it to be released temporarily. And then you suppress it again because you're more comfortable in that old nature. That's what you know. It's hard to be something opposite or contrary to what you normally are. It's hard to be happy if you're always depressed. You'll be temporarily happy, but you like depression. You partner with depression. So oftentimes you just stay depressed for no reason. I'm not saying mental health isn't a real thing because it is a real thing. Don't let me get you confused with there is a such thing as mental health issues. But there's also a such thing as behavioral issues. And neither one of those things are really going to get you to conform to Jesus. What's really going to get you to conform to Jesus is that you allow your spirit to be born again. Once that happens, God can work. He can't do anything until that rebirth happens. Once the rebirth happens, he's allowed to work in your life if you let him. And so when Rob says Austin doesn't know a whole lot, I'm I'm so with that. Because we all started at ground zero when we got here. Ground zero is the best place to be at. The only thing is, is that you can't stay on ground zero. You have to be intentional about trying to change. Intention starts with I. So I have to be intentional. Do I really want to be healed? Do I really want to be delivered? Do I really want to go back and be the man that I'm supposed to be? Because if not, why am I here? I'm just wasting my time, really. But if I engage, look, The prodigal son left and came back. It didn't say he came all the way home. It said that the father saw him at a distance. That meant that the son only had to come a few steps and the father was going to meet you the rest of the way. Just a couple of steps will get you to move in a position of faith where God can move in your life. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort. It just takes some effort. Right. And so a little bit of effort goes a long way. You know, you put a lot of effort in calling the dope man and waking up and grinding for money and doing this and trying to get this and get that. You put so much effort into it that it took your whole life. It took everything you had from you. And when you get to the point where you ain't got nothing left, that's the best place to be. When you're eating slop with the hogs and you're you're rolling around in mud and you got nothing left and you come to yourself and say, I don't want to do this no more. That's the best place you need to be at. But if you never hit the bottom and you never come to yourself and say, I need help, you're hit. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing that the Bible can say. There's nothing that God can do for you until you come to the realization that you can't do this thing on your own. When you get to that place, that's where he can really do some work. And so I want to talk about, about spiritual warfare because it really is a war. Like I said. Austin probably didn't wake up this. He woke up this morning and was like, I'm not reading this Bible. I'm going to go sit out here. I'm going to smoke nine cigarettes until 530 is over, 630 gets here. You know, Stephen would do it, too. 
Everybody does that. I do. I wake up and the first thing I do is say, thank God. But in reality, I don't want to read nothing. I don't want to read anything. Lee woke me up this morning and was like, you got something? And I was like, man, I got something. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I really don't want to. I'd rather stay in this bed because this blanket is heated right now. And I got up. Because like Paul said, if I, it's better, for, I would rather be with the Father than be here with you, but it's to your benefit that I'm here. And it's to my benefit that you're here. It's to my benefit that, you know, Brian's here or you're here or Scotty's here. It's to my benefit that we're all here together. And I have to come with expectation that God's going to work in you something for me, right? If I'm not expecting God to work, he's not He's, he's probably not going to work. He'll skip you to go to the next man that's really expecting something. I mean, you expect a paycheck, right? You work all week, you expect a paycheck. And what do you do? You do everything you can to go to the job, to get the paycheck. You put gas in the car. Even if you ain't got gas, you put gas in the car. You borrow $20 to go get the check. You do everything you can because you're expecting to get paid. When you come to church, it's the same thing. You should be coming to church and expecting God to show up. Not expecting God to do something for you, but just expecting that he shows up. And when everybody gets into a place of expectation, he will show up. Because where two or more gather in his name, there he is also. So it's our expectation that actually brings the Lord. It ain't because you look good and you got a nice shirt on and your chain's hanging low. It's because you came expecting God to show up. Because if the church ain't expecting them to show up, there's another one right around the corner. There's 500 of them in this city. So if this one ain't here, I'm going to just go to this one. So it's our expectation that really allows them to come and be with us. <laughs> so Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So when a person is saved, your spirit is saved and your spirit is renewed, but your mind is still what it is, which is why even after you get saved today and you leave here, you can get saved at the altar and walk out the door and your mind still looks at that chick that walks by. You still you still go one way that you know you ain't supposed to go, but that's how corrupt this body and your mind is. What you put in is really what manifests in your life. So if you put darkness in all the time, darkness is going to come out of you. If you put light in all the time, then light is what's going to come out of you. And so the mind always strains between the new nature and the old nature. There's a, a conflict there, you know, and we like to we can't use the verse in Romans where Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do. Because a lot of us try to use that as a cop out to go and just sin freely and do whatever it is we want to. And even though Paul says it three times, may we continue in sin so grace may abound, may it never be. We try to take one little piece of scripture and justify the fact that we rationalize sin so we can go and do what we want to. Right. And we ain't supposed to do that. You sin. I mean, you're going to. But the reality is habitual sin is different than you just falling today. And just having a, a real, you, I mean, in reality, you're just a casualty of warfare. You didn't have the tools necessary to overcome the thing that, that you should have overcome this day. And so that's what this whole thing is about. You come here to get trained and equipped in order to live a life of victory. 
right? And so most often this doesn't take place immediately. That's why people, like I said, you get saved, you leave here, you instantly, things come at you and you don't know how to deal with them because even though your spirit is saved, your mind is not sanctified, it's not consecrated, it's not what it should be. And that's a part of the work that we have to do, right? And so since we've been given free will, the mind needs to discern between the old man and the new man. There used to be this thing in, in Roman culture where they would... They would take a dead body that's been dead for a while and they would strap it to your back and you had to walk around with it, right? You, you would literally have to walk around with it because the what would happen is over time, the disease from the dead body would attach to your body and you would die a slow death. And you would have to drag this thing around behind you. And so every time you pick up the old nature and you pick up the old man, that's pretty much what you're doing. You're tying your old self to your back. And if you allow it to stay back there long enough, eventually you spiritually die. And so you have to discern between what is the old man and what is the new. The problem is it's not that you don't know the old man. It's that you know the old man too good. You know him too well. You know that. You know, you don't know what I don't know what God's going to do, but I know what we will do. I know what this woman will do for me. I know what this will do for me. So it's easier for you to go back to what you're comfortable in. We're creatures of habit. And so we have to break certain habits. And in doing that, you you can't renew your mind with old things. That's why all things become new. The Bible is a foreign language to most people. It's still foreign to me. I'm still learning every day. And I'll never really know fully, you know, right now I know partially, I know in part, but then when I get there face to face, I'll know. So right now there's some things that I have to do in order to renew my mind. I have to put light in. That's why I can't afford to listen to rap music or country music or anything that's, that's, that goes against what the word says. Because what I allow in is what I'm going to allow to come out. Right. And so the born again spirit and the dictates of the world, the flesh and the devil, you have to be able to, to determine which is which in order to make the right choices. So in order to do the transformation and renewal from the old ways of thinking, we have to do a few things. We have to recognize a few things. The Bible says, don't be ignorant to the devices of the enemy. Why would he say that when, when I already know what the devices are? I know what my shortcomings are. I know what always leads me astray. You always know what leads you astray. You know the people that you should not associate with. You know that you cannot go to the bar if you were an alcoholic. You can't go to Buffalo Wild Wings just because they got sports and they got chicken wings because in reality, there's a bar right there and you can't sit across from there and look at that. So you know the devices of the enemy. You know what it is that draws you away from where you're supposed to be. I don't know what that is for you, but I know what it is for me. So I'm not ignorant to what the device is. So a stronghold is anything in our lives that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. Anything that exalts itself in our lives, posing to be bigger or more powerful than God, becomes a stronghold in our life. And a stronghold is a yoke on our necks and controls and steers us away from God. I don't want anything to control me or steer me away from God. I like to think that I have control. In reality, I don't. 
One of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. And we we lack that a lot of times. We like to be holy and righteous and all these things when really we need to work on self-control. I need to work on self-control. And that's that's a hard one to work on because it involves me. You know. The dictionary defines a stronghold as a well-fortified place or a fortress, and another word for a garrison. A protected place for the army to stay during the peril. Strongholds are a hiding place of the devil, and they're well hidden, and they try to stay out of reach of deliverance through deception. Brandon was talking to me about deception, about how he was deceived, and that's why he wants to learn about spiritual warfare. So let me just put this out there real quick. Don't do don't go around looking for spiritual warfare. It is not your job to engage in spiritual warfare unless the Lord calls you to engage in spiritual warfare. You do like the Bible says in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In order for me to fear no evil, that means I sit back and I let the shepherd go to war. Now, he will call you forth sometimes to intercede for people and and go into deliverance and things like that. But don't go around looking for trouble. Right. Because God doesn't need me to engage in spiritual warfare. He is the master spirit. He controls all the angels. There's not really much that I can do. But if he calls me to do that, I will do it. You know, in Acts, Jesus, I know and Paul, I know. But who are you? This man's trying to do some stuff he won't call to do. Two demons beat the brakes off of him and he runs out of the city butt naked. I don't want to get beat like that. Right. That's in the Bible. It's funny, but it's in the Bible. So if he calls me to do that. That's when I'm going to move in and do it. Right. But it's still important for me to learn the weapons that I need in order to move into spiritual warfare for the day that he does call me. So strongholds can be classified into three categories, spiritual, mental and physical. Right. And they may not always be the devil entertaining something. Like I said, you know, we give him too much credit when a lot of times it's the ones that work for him, not really him. You know, I like what Lee said the other day, you know, he was talking to Kelly and he said, you know, Michael and and Satan got in a fight and who won? And, and Kelly said, Michael did. He's the angel of the Lord. And no, Michael got beat down. Michael got beat up. And he left. So if, the archangel isn't strong enough to take care of Satan himself. Uh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe I need to be a little more cautious about what I'm going against. Right. Not to say that that I don't know who I am in the Lord and that I don't have the authority to do the same things that Jesus did. But I, I, I don't want to provoke anything. I'm already a target. I'm not a target when I'm not a Christian because he's already got me. The enemy's already got me. Now I'm a target, though. So there's a few examples of strongholds and general curses and and things of the simple nature. I'm not going to get into all of them, Um, but there's a spirit of lying, a spirit of jealousy, spirit of fornication, lust, spirit of bitterness, spirit of unforgiveness, which is a big one. Unforgiveness holds a lot of people back. Uh, Spirit of pride, a spirit of idolatry, fear, pride, infirmity, uh, religious or legalistic spirits. Um, and those are all examples of spiritual strongholds. Then you got physical strongholds, which we know is like chronic sickness or 
uncontrollable convulsing and ungodly addictive cravings, which is the reason that we're all here. That's a physical thing attached to a spiritual thing, right? And then there's mental strongholds. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to skip by all of the strongholds because I just want to get into the, the warfare portions. Um, like I said, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, we're not ignorant to the devices of the enemy. And spiritual warfare is real. Like you can just look at anything in the natural and understand when when you get alone integrity is important but when you really get in when you really get alone where does your mind drift off to when nobody else is around where does you, where do you really go because a lot of times the mind is what controls everything else. And it shouldn't be that way. The spirit should really control everything else. And so we got the order of operations mixed up. But if you're a victim of domestic violence and, you know, some things that happened in your life. Those things are going to affect you for a long time until you come to deal with them, because it's too easy to just set them to the side and say it didn't happen. But in reality, when you set it to the side and you say it didn't happen, you've already been deceived. You believe the lie because even though you set it to the side, it's still attached to you. And it'll stay attached to you until you deal with the real issue. It's like people that never grieve. They lose a loved one and they, they never grieve or they over grieve and then they end up dying, too. You know, people that have been together for 65 years, they lose a loved one. They, they lose their husband or their wife. And me and me were talking about this and they over grieve. And it's not long after that one one individual passes away that the other one passes away too, within a year or two. Right. Where if they would just if they would grieve and they would move and, and they would accept it and move on, maybe they would have lived a lot longer. But that grief attached itself to them and it wouldn't let them go. Right. And so spiritual warfare is real. Like I said, try to read your Bible. That's the best way to look at it. If you don't want to read the word, there's some spiritual issues going on. There's some heavy things going on in your life. And, and that's good. If you don't want to, if you don't want to read, that's fine. But I would really encourage you to read. Because it's going to be in those moments when you don't want to read that you probably should read because the enemy is keeping you away from something. That he that the Lord really wants to show you this morning. Or that time that you wake up on Sunday and you just don't want to go to church. That's probably the day you really need to go to church because there's something there waiting for you. You know, we we think of spiritual warfare, you know, as this mediocre thing, but it happens all day. All day, the way that somebody responds to you can can provoke something in you and make you get out of character. But that's why we have to realize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I don't wrestle against physical Gavin. I wrestle against the, the spiritual things that Gavin has, that the, the spiritual things that I discern between me and him. I don't, I love Gavin physically and i love him spiritually but i wrestle with some things that are inside of him that maybe need to be adjusted or brandon 
Brandon's the same way. Brandon bucks once in a while, or Brandon attaches himself to the wrong people. I don't wrestle with Brandon physically, but I wrestle with some things that are inside of him that I would rather see go this way, right? It's never flesh and blood. It's not fists and faces. It's it's principalities and authorities and spiritual places, right? And so those things are the things that we wrestle against. You know, you, you, people get out of character a lot. There's There's people that have anger issues and, you know, sometimes people just have a bad day. That's cool. But how do I respond to that? How do I respond to you having a bad day? Because if you're having a bad day and you buck on me, what I do next is going to determine my day. Not only is it going to determine my day, but it's going to show whether I'm actually growing or not. Okay. And people can tell a tree by its fruit. So if me and LeVon have an issue and LeVon's mad and he says something slick and then I turn around and say something slick, well, everybody on the outside is going to see what kind of fruit I actually bear. Right? And it's based on the fruit that you can judge the tree. Now, it's not our job to judge one another because God is the judge, but there's some spiritual aspects that go along with him waking up on the wrong side of the bed. And all of those stem from from ideas and thoughts in your mind. Maybe he had a bad dream about his old lady with Jody or whatever. Like, there's a whole lot of things that can happen when you're asleep. Not your Jody, Tim. I'm telling you, not your Jody, Tim. It's all right. I, I always forget her name's Jody, but it's whatever. I'm talking about the male Jody, but the milkman, I should have said the milkman. But most people are held hostage by the devil in their minds. That's where you're held hostage at. That's where I'm held hostage at. John chapter three, verse eight says, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy refers to the act of untying or unloosening something. Christ came to untie and unloose Satan's binding powers, which he has us bound up. Jesus's primary concern was to set people free from the power of Satan. To render his power useless. And a lot of times I know for me. I forget that the battle is already won. It's already won. And we need to realize that the subject isn't just dealing with the devil. A lot of times it's dealing with ourselves. Because we have to take control of our minds and we have to crucify the flesh. The devil's attacks wouldn't work if the flesh didn't cooperate. His attacks wouldn't work if your mind didn't cooperate. It's in those moments where you cooperate with him that your life gets out of whack for a little bit, right? Colossians 3 through 5, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Romans 6, 2, live lives that are dead to sin. Dead men are not capable of responding to anything. If the old man is dead and he's truly dead, he isn't capable of responding to anything. And a lot of times we resurrect them. 
we resurrect him and then kill him again. And then we resurrect him and we kill him again, like in some game or something. Exactly. The real war with Satan's already been won, and that's what we have to realize, that we are victorious. We're victorious through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. It didn't stop there. A lot of us get to there, and that's where it stops. We bring all our stuff to the cross where we forget that life didn't happen. It didn't happen at the cross. Death happened at the cross. Life happened at the resurrection, right? And so when you want resurrection power and you want resurrection life, sometimes you got to go to the graveyard. If you ain't got life, you ain't been to the graveyard yet. So Jesus completely stripped all the principalities and he left them naked. You can read about that. We'll go there later. It's Colossians 2.15 if you want to read that. (coughs) I think I'm catching this healing this morning. So the warfare in your mind... That's where the battlefield is. We hear that all the time. Battlefield's in your mind. Battlefield's in your mind. What does that mean, though? You know, you're only responsible for what you know. You're only accountable for what it is you know. So if you if you came here and you never knew Jesus, you never knew anything about God, and then you sit through 15 chapels, and now you know the Word of God, now you know God, You're accountable for what you know when it comes to God. You're not accountable for what you don't know. Like we did a little Bible study last night, Romans 1. The heavens and the earth and everything that you see declares the Lord's majesty. It declares that there is a God so that nobody has an excuse. Now, if I never told you about Jesus, I never mentioned the word Jesus, according to the Bible, you looking out here and watching the way that the wind blows is enough for you to stand before Jesus and say, I knew. I knew. Because you can try to say, well, I didn't know nobody. And you're hit. Nobody has an excuse when it comes to judgment day. Now. There is a you have a choice to believe that there isn't a judgment day. But just because you believe that there isn't one doesn't mean that there isn't one. Just because you believe that there isn't a God doesn't mean that there isn't a God. There's a difference between your opinion and what you believe and what the Bible says and what we know. You know, we have a grave for Buddha. We have a grave for Muhammad. Where is Jesus's grave at? They can't find it. But you can go right over to the Middle East and you can go worship and be right there in Mecca and pull the walls back and Muhammad's still there. Bones and ashes. But you can't find Jesus because he resurrected. He ain't in the grave no more. So you're responsible for what you know. And that's why it's important for us to to engage in the Bible and learn. It's more than mental ascent. It's more than what you know in your mind. Because there's actually a portion of scripture in John that says you can't even understand the Bible until the Holy Spirit opens your mind up to know the Bible. So you can read it like a newspaper. That's cool. It's never going to have meaning to you until you let the Lord work on you and the Holy Spirit show you what it really says. Because at face value, 
you're always just going to go to history or historical references. You're not going to be looking for spiritual application. You're not going to be looking for the hidden meaning of parables or the mysterious ways. All you're going to be concerned with is what it actually says at face value. Even though, like I told Brandon yesterday, there's a parable in the Bible that says, unless a seed fall to the ground and die, it can't bear fruit. Well, that sounds good. And that's, that's really how it happens when you germinate a seed. You just let it fall to the ground. Water comes, water breaks the shell, fruit comes forth, and you have a, a tree. But the spiritual application for that is that unless this old man, this outer shell dies, the inside man can't produce fruit. Right? And so that's how we got to read. You can't read it like that unless the Lord shows you stuff like that. But demonic spirits have absolutely no power to bring destruction unless they can find an open door in a person's mind demonic spirits cannot destroy a person without an open door into your soul and the spirits cannot enter unless they give unless they're given permission by the person that they're trying to come to now that's a lie so they can't come to you and get in through the open door unless you let them in the door if the devil comes knocking and you crack the door open, you know, and knowing it's him, you open the door. He's just going to kick it wide open because you gave him access. So regardless of how many demonic spirits have been assigned to you, you have to act on you. You have to act on the temptation in order for the temptation to overtake you and ruin your witness. Because there are demonic forces that are assigned to your life, but there are also angels assigned to your life. So which one are you going to open the door for? Because whichever one you open the door for is the one that's going to take over this body that you live in. There's a difference between oppression and possession. I'm possessed by the Holy Spirit. If you have came to God and you have came to Christ, you're possessed by the Holy Spirit. So possession of the devil isn't necessarily what we're worried about. It's oppression of the devil. Oppression beats people down. It keeps you down. It keeps you in bondage. It keeps you enslaved. It keeps you knocked down so you can't do anything. And if we open the door to that, that's where we can end up. So you're responsible. Listen to me. You're responsible for your own failure or your own success in obeying God in this life. And you can't shift the blame on anyone else but yourself. If you are not successful in this life, it's your own fault. And so there's some things you have to do in order to be successful. You have to develop this relationship that we have with the Lord. You have to wake up at 530 in the morning, Gavin, and go to the dining room and read and bring your notebook to chapel and take notes and learn how to pray and pray constantly. I'm picking on you this morning, bud. There's some things that we have to do, not because it's good religious acts, but because it's self-discipline. Most of us lack discipline in our lives, which is why we end up in jail or we end up in the house of prayer. Or we end up in boot camp and we end up in the military when we really didn't want to go. It's because we had a lack of self-discipline. And so now we have to learn to discipline ourselves in the things of God, because when you do that, it's beneficial for you. It's not because it's, it looks good on the outside. It's because even though you read and you don't remember, it does something to you. You don't remember what you ate last Friday for breakfast, but it still fed you. And if you don't remember what you read in the Bible, it doesn't matter because it still fed your spirit, man. It's a matter of getting it in. 
The remembrance will come. The remembrance will come through the Holy Spirit. But the problem is you can't remember something you don't know if you never read it. So it takes some work on your behalf and my behalf. I have to read it. Even if I don't remember it, I have to read it so that God can come in and he can pull things that he's that I've allowed to put inside of myself, that he can pull them out so I'll remember. It's in our uncrucified, unsanctified attitudes where demonic oppression mash themselves as our thoughts and find access into our lives. In order to become successful in spiritual battle, we must go after more than just relief from the enemy. We must pursue conformity to Jesus. We're not after just being relieved because you're never going to be relieved from that. While you're here on this earth, the enemy, this is his house. This is where he dwells. When Jesus was taken to the wilderness and tempted for 40 days, the devil said he took him to a high pinnacle. He said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. He can't give something away that's not his. So he owns the earth. So while we're here, we're in his playground. That's why it says you're not of the world. You're no longer of the earth because he's translated you from darkness into light. So now when you're in a place of light, you're in a battlefield. You, you're you going against the grain of everything everybody wants to tell you. Evolution and this and that. You know, I love talking to, to Josh because. We have some crazy conversations, and I can't have those conversations with everybody, but I know with Josh, I can. Like, I can talk to him about evolution. He's got some different ideas about stuff than I do, and normally it's all, it's, it's fun and games. And like Mule, I can talk to Mule about some things that I can't talk to you guys about. That's why I say the body, or like he said, the body is multiple members, but we all make up one body. I can go and ask him for some information that he has. I can ask Josh for some information that he has, or LaVon, or Matt. And all of these things play a big role in how my life is going to go today. Because all of us here are in a godly place. All of us here are working towards the same goal. Now, when I leave here, I'm outnumbered. That's why the Bible says, what business does light have with darkness? What business do you have going to the gangs? What business do you have going and hanging out on the block? If you go and do all that and you're outnumbered, it's probably not going to be good for you. That's why Jesus sent them out in two so that they they have an accountability partner when they go out into the battlefield. Because, you know, my weakness might be dope. Well, Mule's weakness might be women. And if we go to a spot and it's dope and no women, well, that's my accountability right there. He can just go ahead and drag me off from there. But if it's the other way around, I can drag Mule off of there and we can... We can help one another proceed and, and move forward in this thing. So I'm going to just give you an example of how your mind works. Your mind is easily deceived. You know that, right? You know that? I know you know that. Come on. There's two ways you can you can just show somebody how they're deceived. I'm going to tell you to say a word three times fast. I'm going to ask you a question. You answer it without thinking, okay? You ready? You're going to say, I'm going to give you one word. I'm going to ask you a question, then you answer it. Are you ready? Say the word silk three times. What do cows drink? Milk? No, they drink water and produce milk. 
right? Yeah. That's how easily your mind can be deceptive. Yeah. Yeah, but the other thing is that we allow lies to come in. Oh, I got everybody, huh? That's an easy deception. But a lot of times we allow lies to get in. And once the lies get in and you start believing the lie, the enemy has control over that situation. And he's allowed to work. Right. And a lot of us believe lies on a regular basis. That's the fallen nature. That's the old man. The old man likes to believe whatever sounds good. And so when you start believing the lies, that's when you have an issue. So here's the most common lie that, that men have, right? Your wife gets home every day, same time. Five o'clock, you go to work, she goes to work, y'all both get home five o'clock, everything's good, baby's in the bed. Seven o'clock, y'all already ate dinner, took showers, everything's the same. Well, one day you come home, five o'clock, she ain't there. Immediately, you ask yourself, where is she? Well, where is she? So then what happens is you call her. You know, ain't no, ain't no big deal. You call her. What we'll goes straight to the voicemail? You text her, hoping that maybe she was just on the phone. No response. Well, now the lie has been implanted in you and you believe it. Well, she should have been home by now. <laughs> you can't even watch TV no more. You, you pacing the floor. She should have been home by now. Where is she at? Who she with? What's she doing? So you call her again. You call her 999 times. No answer. Voicemail, voicemail, voicemail. And all you can think about is who is she with? It's not really what she's doing. It's who is she with? Right? Who is, who is she with right now? She should have been home an hour ago. It's 6 o'clock. So then she comes in the door. Hands full of groceries. Drops them on the floor. You don't even look at the groceries. It ain't got nothing to do with the groceries at this point. Because the lie has manifested in your life. Whether she got groceries or not, she done been with every man on the block. She done slept with this guy. She went over to his house. She was over here with them. She drops the groceries. Next thing you know, because you believe the lie, the lie manifests in your life. And what happens is you beat her up and you get 48 hours in jail for domestic violence, all because of your own ignorance. And you acknowledge the lie. When in reality. She was trying to get you some food and the baby needed diapers and the baby was out of milk and you forgot that it was her payday and direct deposit here. She should have been home at five. <laughs> and the problem is, is all of us have been in that spot before. That's why it seems funny. Because we've all believed that one lie. That's why we take every thought captive when we submit it to the obedience of God. It's easier said than done. But it can be done. It's not that it can be done. It can be done. It takes some effort on our parts. You gonna say something, you? Yeah.